when I was 25 and a half, I started a podcast. The goal? To review some of the newest and the latest movies, along with some other stuff. With the help of my guests, I was able to do this. But there were dark forces tampering with my podcast. And with me. They called it an improvised podcast for some reason. I eventually found help in the form of myself. Yes, the me from a universe where the movies I reviewed got delayed. Apparently, my podcast made it to his universe. I know now that it is my duty, for the good of that universe, nay, the multiverse, to keep recapping and reviewing these movies, to hold listeners over until they could eventually see the movies as they were made in their world. For some reason, they come out differently in my world, but it's kind of entertaining that way. My name is Steven Schinder, and this is Delayed Replay. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another exciting episode of Delayed Replay. I'm your host, as always, Steven Schinder. And on this episode, we have an interesting, kind of confusing topic. It is the fourth Matrix movie that just came out. But joining me at this moment, you may have heard him before in season one. He was on a couple episodes it is Keon from Various Decorative Vegetable Podcasts. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Stephen. No, no complaints here. No complaints here. How are you? How have you been doing? I say as if we haven't been talking for the last half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just leaving it to the imagination of the listeners, whatever we might have been talking about. <laughs> but yeah, I've been relatively fine, I suppose. What have I even been watching recently? Um, oh, I've been re-watching Babylon 5, like my favorite sci-fi show, because it's on HBO Max, and that's been a lot of fun. Like, like I feel like I've enjoyed it more upon each rewatch, so that's always great. Yeah, better than the opposite, at least, of, of watching something again and being like, well, I, I, this isn't so special after all, or something like that. Yeah, or like where where you watch something the first time and you're like, eh, that was okay. And then the second time you're like, whoa, this is actually a lot better than I thought. And then the third time around, it's like even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Now joining us at this moment, uh, you've also heard him on this podcast a few times. He's also from Decorative Vegetable. It is Dylan Green. What What is up? Uh, not much. Just just dropping out of the void to interrupt and just insert myself into this podcast, like the uh, like the arrogant a hole I am. <laughs> Isn't elegant a hole an oxymoron? Well, don't think about it too hard, okay? <laughs> <laughs> just don't think about it too hard. All right, that that's fair. That that's carnival. Wow. wow. But yeah, we are talking about the fourth Matrix movie, which is oddly simply titled Matrix. Now, what do you think of this naming convention for this fourth one? Now, I mean, this is actually, you know, to, to reveal this, I guess, since it was such a big secret. Like this, we were talking about this a little before we started recording of like the trend of movies and, you know, reboots just 
naming the movie the same thing as the original. Uh, it's a very confusing trend. Definitely not like a, definitely like not a good one, in my opinion. Right? Like it gets confusing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, I think Matrix though pulls it off with the the A stylized as the four. Like that makes it work. <laughs> but yeah, you mean Mephortrix? Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I know. I know people were like rolling their eyes about that because it reminded them of Fant Four Stick or whatever it looked <laughs> yeah. like it was called. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it was well, you know, and and this is not exclusive to the Matrix movies, but I'm not generally a fan of movies that just kind of shove the numbers into the words because you know, as someone who's who clearly never mispronounces words ever. Um, you know, I just never know how to pronounce that. You know, is Lee it... Wannell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, look. Have we have we ever like have we ever figured out how to actually say his name? Yeah, it's. Uh, I linked it in the show notes of the anniversary episode. There's this YouTube video with clips of different interviews where they pronounce it as Lee Wannell. So damn it! I was so, right. Wow. Damn it! oops anyway you know to my point as someone who clearly never mispronounces anything uh, i never know how to miss you know how to correctly pronounce i almost said i don't know how to mispronounce i don't know how to correctly pronounce you know like mephortrix you know revolutions (laughs) revelations that too i mean that doesn't help look that doesn't help don't don't make don't make your title something that can easily be confused for something else but matrix is always i don't know maybe this is just my misremembrance of the first three but it's always had those like little mind games you know like not that that's not that it's a mind game it's a very obvious thing to do or a very obvious choice of a title but matrix has always played those sort of sort of sort of games i guess yeah i mean to be honest i've never had the problem of like not knowing that it was revolutions but that's just lucky me. you. Yeah, lucky you, because I yeah, have that the, problem every The time. only aspect in my life where I'm actually lucky. <laughs> <laughs> great. Simply great. But yeah, like there are movie titles like that where like the Evil Dead remake, or I guess it's more of a reboot or whatever. It's just called Evil Dead instead of The Evil Dead. Or like even in film series where it's the same continuity you'll have a movie where it's like the fast and the furious and the later movie will just be called fast and furious and <laughs> like final destination the final hey, destination hey don't don't hate on the best movie franchise of all time fast and the furious okay <laughs> yeah i just mean game had the biggest crossover lies have you seen hobbs and shaw the rock and jason statham come on Whoever thought you would get them in the same movie? Have you seen Fast X when they encounter Transformers and there are also like some vehicles that look like Star Wars ships for some reason? And you see yeah, the see, DeLorean exactly, from Back exactly, to the Future. Exactly what I'm saying. Most ambitious crossover was Avengers Endgame lies. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> What's that line that Saw Gerrera says in Rogue One? Lies! Deception! Yeah, Every lies, day deception. more lies. 
I quote that line all the time when someone lies to me. I go, lies, deception. <laughs> or uh, what other lies have I been told by the Jedi Council? I also think that the fourth Transformers movie, whatever it was called, missed out on not putting the number four right in the middle of the word Transformers <laughs> and just calling yeah. it that. Transformers. <laughs> yeah, I think it was called Age of Extinction or something stupid like that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I I jumped off after the first one. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's probably generally considered the best one of the main series anyway. Like I thought the spin-off Bumblebee was refreshingly good. So. I've watched parts of that actually for some reason, but I'm still a big fan of Transformers the movie, you know, the the 1980s one, the animated one with Unicron. Yeah, I watched that one for the first time like last October or November or something. It was pretty good. Yeah, back when back when Blockbuster and and other video rental places used to be a thing. I was pretty into the original Transformers cartoon a little bit before my time, but you know I watched the VHS tapes on rental and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I mean I was pretty into it, and that movie was one that I watched like a ton as a kid. So nice. Yeah, I, I use this website called Humble Bundle, and every once in a while they'll have like a book sale, like digital books, where you could get like 500 comics or whatever for like 25 bucks. Nice. And I have like a ton of IDW Transformers comics like sitting in my library that I haven't read despite having them on there for the past like six years or whatever. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I'll get to those eventually, I'm sure. But (laughs) yeah, so what are your experiences with the Matrix franchise uh, previously, like before seeing this fourth one? Well, you know, the masterpieces of cinema, uh, you know, clearly. <laughs> well, they're, they're at least close, you know. Revelations? Was it Revolutions? <laughs> revelations? I don't know. They, it's Revelations. Uh, is it Revolutions? Is yeah. it an unexpected one? Damn it. You know, kind of suffered from maybe somebody should have said no syndrome. But, you know, on the whole, they're pretty good, I think. Didn't really need a sequel, a fourth one. Didn't really know, you know, going into this, how uh, that was going to work, but oh well. Well, you might already know this, Stephen, I'm not sure, but I honestly love The Matrix. Um, I mean, I'm not super into The Matrix fandom, or uh, I'm not the biggest Matrix fan, but I've watched, you know, all three movies, and now four. I've I've watched the original trilogy many times. Um, The the original Matrix actually was... uh, I always remember it as being like the first R-rated movie I ever watched. Uh, you know, just watching it on TV when I was like, I don't remember how old I was, probably like nine or ten, and I was just like, this is amazing. I love this. And then I watched <laughs> Reloaded and Revolutions, you know, years later, and and loved those as well. Um, I don't know. There's just something appealing about that sort of about the Matrix and about the sort of like the zeitgeist of it. I don't know. I really like sort of movies and media and 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 uh sort of i don't know if you'd call the matrix cyberpunk but like that sort of vibe that was in part well you know caused by the matrix with sort of boom with it right of like the late 90s early 2000s cyberpunk aesthetic and vibe and stuff like that so i just really love the matrix uh, i've watched the animatrix as well uh once all the way through and that was obviously awesome yeah i think 
it is considered cyberpunk because when when I think of cyberpunk, I think of like you know it deals with maybe like cybernetic parts or like with software like going in a computer or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what cyberpunk is. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think the first R-rated movie I ever watched was Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. Unless I'm forgetting something. Like I remember we had the DVD around somewhere, and I just watched it and enjoyed it. But nice. Yeah. As far as the Matrix goes, like like you and have uh, reviewed the trilogy on Triple Play, a movie trilogy podcast, as well as the Animatrix, right? That we have, yeah. It was a very early episode of ours, and it's it's pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> My first experience with The Matrix was watching it on Gallifrey and Doctor Who. And No, no. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, because they stole the idea from Doctor Who, right? I mean, we all know this, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, just like Doctor Who stole all their ideas from Chester Doctor, a Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> Check that out. <laughs> it's an ancient meme we haven't referenced in a while. <laughs> Or there... rather, it's uh, an ahead of the times meme that you haven't referenced enough yet. The Wachowskis almost for sure did just rip the Matrix from Doctor Who, though, since you know the Matrix and Doctor Who is literally exactly the same thing as the Matrix and the Matrix, except like less cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because and, and it the... was made on a budget of like whipped cream and string. <laughs> yeah, whipped cream and string. It's uh, I mean, there's interviews out there where the Wachowskis are like, yeah, we're big fans of Doctor Who. So, I mean, yeah. Not that it's a bad thing. I mean, whatever. It'd be funny if they didn't even watch it until after they finished making the Matrix movies. I'm like, (laughs) wow, that's a coincidence. Didn't even watch Doctor Who until like 2018. And they were like, yeah, (laughs) this is really similar. (laughs) Yeah, in like the Chris Chibi era, I, I think that would be. Yeah. The Chris but... Chibi era. Yeah, that was the first uh, Chris Chibnall Whitaker season slash Jody Whitaker season. Okay, so with the Matrix movies, I remember seeing parts of the first one back in, I think I might have told you this before, but back in ninth grade, I like, it was the end of the school year, so we were like, watching movies or whatever in certain classes and so in the biology class i was in we were just watching the matrix and i don't remember us finishing the movie i only remember bits and pieces of it at that time and so i feel like i didn't really actually watch it for a long time and so years later like every once in a while i would see that it's on netflix along with the sequels of matrix reloaded and matrix revolutions and i'd be like oh i'll watch those like sometime soon and then by the time i like am feeling up for it i see that they've been taken off of netflix <laughs> mm-hmm. um but i eventually like got to them last june and so I watched the first one in full and I was like, some of the stuff in it looks pretty cool, but I also think it's kind of overrated. Um, and then I watched Reloaded and I thought that was slightly inferior. Like it has too much action sequences that overstay their welcome, in my opinion. And I 100% agree with that. 
Yeah, and I think it may also suffer from like too much expository dialogue and there's also that really weird rave scene that, <laughs> that like comes out <laughs> of nowhere. Um and then revolutions um oh let me just pull up my post about like what I thought of revolutions. While you're doing that, I'll just say that uh, for multiple rewatches and multiple years, I thought Revolutions was Revelations. Like, I watched it through probably three times without realizing that it was actually Revolutions. Yeah, I remember you and Dylan talked about that on Triple Play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, I saw that on Goodreads. There's, like, this listing for a book called Matrix Revelations, and it's, like, a fan's analysis of the movies or something came out like 2005 i think mm-hmm. um but okay so here here are my thoughts about revolutions i might get roasted for this but i think the matrix revolutions is my favorite of the trilogy but i think there's not much of a gap in quality between them and that they're all just fine i definitely prefer the music of revolutions it's also kind of weird to think about how revolutions preceded the release of the return of the king by a month and was putting out kind of the same vibe so yeah that like revolutions end up being my favorite of the trilogy i guess because i like that whole epic final battle type of thing and i, that, I didn't say this just claim I didn't say this before, but I think they should have just ended at Reloaded. Just drop all the <laughs> massive twists and then just never make any more. Just end with Neo revealing that he can like control the machines in the quote real world unquote, and then just like it's never explained ever. Exactly. Just be like one of those TV shows that end on a cliffhanger with so many unanswered questions, and they just cancel it. <laughs> Those are the best kind of TV shows because then all fan fiction becomes, uh, you know, like beta canon, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's also a bald claim, but, you know, no one to prove me wrong, so. Check out Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my favorite quote from, like, the original Matrix trilogy is in Revolutions when, like, Mr. Anderson is like, why do you persist? And then Neo is like, because I choose to, and it's like, I, I don't know, for some reason, I just f- thought that was a very powerful line to hear and to have someone say, because it's like being able to choose to fight for what's right. It's just inspiring to me for some reason. It's sort of been central, right, to the Matrix movies and to the sort of, um, the uh, this sort of, sim- right, they're, they're about this sort of computer simulation, the simulated world, so... You know, the free will versus, uh, um, what what would you call it, like, determinism or something? Yeah, like, after watching those movies, I finally listened to, like, the triple play episodes on them. And um, I was, like, really surprised when I found out later that that episode was made up of two different recordings stitched (laughs) together. (laughs) Yeah, there were some behind-the-scenes mishaps. Uh, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's detailed very well in a blog post on the decorative vegetable site. Mm-hmm. It's actually really impressive because, uh, like, I had no idea it was separate recordings. Yeah, Dylan did actually a really good job with that. <laughs> actually. <laughs> 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 um, 
Yeah, but and I mean, I can, I can totally understand. I think you being underwhelmed um, going into the Matrix because people hype these movies up a lot, and when you actually watch the first one, it's, it, it almost feels too straightforward for what it's made out to be. You know, specifically one. I think obviously things get a bit more complicated in two and three, but uh, the the original Matrix is a very straightforward movie. And I didn't watch Animatrix until very recently um, because it's on HBO Max. And I thought the animation style was cool. It's interesting that kind of expands the lore of that world. Um, There were moments here and there where the characters looked too still, like too static and as if they're like not even really there. They're just cardboard cutouts. And while other people are talking, it's really weird. Uh, but I thought it was cool that like they experimented with different types of animation within this one thing. Like it kind of reminds me of Batman Gotham Knight, which would later go on to do a similar thing. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing you can do in sort of anima- animation anthologies like that. Sort of the the drastic switches in art style. Which one was your favorite? Which uh, segment? Um, I think from just a visual perspective, because. Like, I don't know if there's like a specific story that's my favorite, but visually, I really dug the noir one, like the detective story. It's like, I thought that one was really well drawn and like just well done overall. Yeah, that that one is my favorite, too. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan, do you have a favorite Animatrix short? Oh, my God. It's been so long since I watched those, man. (laughs) Let me just Google Animatrix to remember what the actual shorts were. Say it was the the noir one. You'll be right in that case. (laughs) I think it was the detective one, but you know, if you want to be sure, just go listen to our episode on it. But I think it was. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I honestly can't remember if you guys said what your favorites were. But yeah, go ahead and check those out, listeners. I think it was the detective one. I'm looking at, at, at like... I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the Animatrix with all of them on them, and I'm like, they're all ringing bells, and I do think the Detective one was the one I liked the most. Damn, I should watch those again. It's been a long time since I've watched those. Why not? Did, I didn't mean... even watch them to prepare for the before tricks. That's how great of a podcaster I am. <laughs> the noir one. That one, if I remember correctly, was you know, uh, helmed by the uh, Cowboy Bebop creator. So which is another series that I absolutely adore. So. I've been slowly but surely making my way through Cowboy Bebop. It's like I've been watching it for like over a year now. Like every once in a while, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm still going through this show. And I'll like watch an episode and wait like a few weeks or a month and see the next one. That's a show you can do that with though. Like other shows you can't, but it's like for that show, it, it kind of works. Like each time I watch an episode, it's like, yeah, this is really cool. But then... I don't feel compelled to like marathon it like other shows. It's it's weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. Obviously, before seeing all the Matrix movies, I knew the like, you know, the limbo thing because of cultural osmosis, like bending backward and like the thing going over them. So like there it definitely has made its mark on pop culture. But I guess it was this thing where it was probably overhyped too much for me. So when I finally got around to it, it was like that. Seinfeld is unfunny trope. It's it's named as such because like sometimes people will see something 
in Seinfeld after like watching later sitcoms and they're like oh they're just doing the same old thing but like Seinfeld is actually like a forerunner of using that type of joke or plot or whatever so it's it's kind of like this thing that happens in reverse where like you're unimpressed with it because you've already seen like recent things do it mm-hmm. yeah it makes sense yeah I mean heck they they invented bullet time for the matrix like that technique um so back then of course it was mind blowing it's still mind blowing, but it's it's also just just like yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of paved the way for interesting effects for later masterpieces such as Clock Stoppers. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen Clock Stoppers, Dylan? No. <laughs> you need to watch it. <laughs> hmm. Do I? <laughs> Do I? Yes. It's this movie from 2002 where, like, this teenager finds this watch that, like, his scientist father is working on. And he can use it to, like, freeze time. Um, And, like, it's, like, super cheesy. It has (laughs) music by, like, Simple Plan, Blink-182, Smash Mouth. And, like, (laughs) like, I saw this in the theater once, like, when I was a kid. I didn't watch it again until, like, I was donating blood, like, three years ago or something. And, like, I saw the DVD cover, and it said, A Back to the Future for the Next Generation, which I thought was ironic because it really did not stand the test of time and become the Back to the Future-ish pop culture phenomenon they maybe hoped it would be. Wow. Wow. Oh, it's a Nickelodeon thing. Yeah, I just I looked it up <laughs> right now. Yeah, I, I mean, it's worth watching just for the lulls. Uh, I just remember there's like this dance sequence that even as a kid, I thought this doesn't make scientific sense. Really. <laughs> I'm looking at the soundtrack. It's like, yeah, Smash Mouth, Blink-182, Third Eye Blind, Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Simple I mean, plan. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, I think I would classify that one as so bad it's good, like that type of thing. <laughs> yeah, watch this now. <laughs> yeah, I'll stop my watch so that we can freeze time and watch the whole movie and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Great clock stoppers. <clears throat> that yeah, was honestly oh, the best. Yeah, movie. <laughs> I'm really glad that you enjoyed that movie. But you, you understand what I meant about the dance sequence not making sense, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, you were spot on about that. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, so definitely recommend Clock Stoppers to all you listeners if you haven't watched it. Just pause this podcast and then watch it and then come back. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we finally get to Matrix, uh, you know, the fourth movie. Uh, I also thought it was a bold choice to like have Matrix and John Wick Chapter 4 released in the same day. You know, just cashing in on that Keanu Reeves hype because, like, they already know lots of people love him. And, like, unsurprisingly, like, both movies have been making bank. So, yeah, it's kind of hilarious also because, like, The Matrix is Warner Brothers and John Wick is Lionsgate and they're just, like, going head to head, you know? Like, what are your overall thoughts of Keanu Reeves, like, as an actor, like, throughout his career and, and I guess in this movie? love him he's my favorite celebrity nice 
And that well, is besides the rock, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and that is your genuine like that is actually you saying that I didn't take sound bites of Dylan and like <laughs> put them together so that it sounds like he's saying that. Like he's actually said that sentence. He didn't audio deep fake it. <laughs> there is there is look, there is enough audio of me out there for someone to train a, like an audio AI that can just say whatever they want from my voice. They could probably make GPSs using my voice with the like <laughs> sheer amount of, of recorded content I've put out there. Yeah, I remember there was an episode of Inevitable where you kind of touched upon that and you're like, someone out there could take what I've said and just make it sound like I'm saying. The Prisoner is a terrible show. And like yeah, when, except- when, I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, but he, he just said it. Like people don't even have to deep fake it now. <laughs> yeah, except there's so much out there, though, that like it wouldn't even sound robotic. Like you would just be able to have it sound completely natural. Right. Like all the different emotions that are conveyed, like the different tones and whatnot. Yeah. The rage. <laughs> just rage. Rage against the dying of the light. You know, I personally never, you know, thought he was a bad actor or anything. I mean, I know he gets, he sort of has this reputation for not being great, or he has the reputation among some people of, you know, needing a really good director to be good in any way. But I've honestly never had a problem with him, especially in the uh, the original Matrix trilogy. I thought he was always pretty good. And that same thing holds true here. I think he's, you know, I don't see any problem with him. Yeah, I kind of wonder if maybe part of it is that people don't like seeing characters be stoic so much. Also, like, did that in Constantine. And uh, I mean, in Constantine, he was just really miscast. Like, he doesn't seem like the character at all, like, even remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, like, he was really fun in the Bill and Ted movies. And then in John Wick, it's like, I actually believe, like, his emotions that he conveys in like the first movie and like the action sequences and that and the sequels are really cool and um he he seems like a nice guy (laughs) I, i i also found him convincing when he played himself in this one romantic comedy that i forget the title of huh yeah i don't know yeah he is he does have that reputation though of being like one of the nicest people in hollywood I've seen yeah. him make some mean slash rude remarks in interviews, though. Not going to lie. There was a there was one. It was last year, I think. It was, um, I don't remember when it was, but one, the interview, you might have seen this. The interviewer got, uh, the interviewer said that he played Bill. Or wait, does he, now I'm getting confused. He plays Ted, right? In Bill and Ted. Oh my gosh, I can't even remember which is which. Um, nice. Actually, yeah, I think he was Ted, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he plays Ted. So the interviewer asked him, asked him a question and implied that he played Bill. And he just kind (laughs) of, he just kind of, you know, he laughed it off. But the interviewer then walked off in shame mid interview. And he was just like, yeah, that's you better do that because you just ruined your whole career. And I was like, bro, (laughs) like you could have consoled him, but you didn't. Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Like he wasn't even saying it in a joking manner. <laughs> he was, I mean, he was laughing about it, but it's also like, man, I don't know. The interviewer obviously felt really bad about it. So, and it's uh, like, it's a, it was probably just a slip of the tongue too. So it's like, I don't know. 
I just, I kind of gave me a bad vibe just watching that, watching him not, because like, I don't know, I kind of expected him, especially with his reputation for being a really nice guy. I almost expected him to just be like, it's like, it's cool. Like, it's fine. It's a mistake. Happens to everyone. But he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. But whatever. I mean, meh. Yeah. And the movie I was thinking of, I just looked it up. It was called Always Be My Maybe. It was pretty decent, I suppose. But apparently yeah. he's also played himself in some other movies for some reason. Wow. But yeah, actually in the third Bill and Ted movie, it's it was kind of weird watching him in that after seeing like the John Wick movies. Because it's like when I see his much older self in that, it's like, yeah, that looks more like John Wick than Ted from the Bill and Ted movies. So... Yeah, yeah you're expecting him to start snapping people's necks at any given moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it ended up being my favorite of the Bill and Ted trilogy, surprisingly. Um, nice. Yeah, I've heard it wasn't that good. Then again, I haven't watched any of the Bill and Ted movies, so what do I know? Yeah, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much nothing. <laughs> The, you just total... you just ruined your career by saying <laughs> you you know nothing. <laughs> exactly, all of human knowledge is contained within Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and Bill and Ted Face the Music. If you haven't watched those, you know literally nothing. <laughs> Speaking of John Wick, my friend uh, Mr. Multiverse, who's been on this podcast a few times, he and I were talking recently, and like he says that. Uh, like he was calling a movie that came out recently a Wick exploitation film, and basically, I guess that's like what he classifies movies that are trying to ride on the John Wick hype. And I, I kind of do think that that is kind of a genre now, maybe. Yeah, it's interesting because you know, John Wick obviously actionifies well, not really, but like it borrows from um, from Quaron, right, and like Children of Men and and his sort of style of the long take and the shaky cam and all that. Yeah. So interesting though. But yeah, I mean, John Wick obviously was this sort of bigger phenomenon. When I was watching this fourth matrix movie, I, I found myself also finding a hard time trying to separate the different like characters of Keanu Reeves. Cause like in this movie, they didn't even, he doesn't even shave off his facial hair to make it easier. It's just, like how he usually looks and you know so much of it is like wow this could just be john wick because i mean keanu just looks exactly as he does in the john wick movies like i'm assuming that john wick 4 also has that sort of same sensibility about it where you're watching this and you're like wow this could be the matrix i'm sure they went for that well maybe yeah. they're building to something like john john wick 5 into the matrix or something yeah exactly revealing the, the, the same universe. crossover event <laughs> just, in history just into the spider-verse but with all of keanu reeves's characters into the keanu-verse <laughs> bill and ted will show up you know that you know that random like single guy that he plays in knock knock will show up i think that was the name of that movie you know whichever one that was yeah i mean we we haven't seen uh john wick chapter four yet like, like i know lots of people are doing the thing where they're like oh let's watch both of these back to back but i'm like i don't have the time i i need a little bit of space between the movies so maybe i'll watch it tomorrow or the day after or something but yeah that'll be talked about on this show but for now um 
Mephortrix, uh, be, it was weird because, like, at the end of Revolutions, Neo dies, right? So, like, how, how would you feel about the way that they brought him for this one? I'm honestly okay with it. I mean, The Matrix is such a, like, not confusing, but sort of, what's the word? It's just sort of this, I don't know, mysterious um, world, right? Like, the world of The Matrix has this sort of mystique to it. It's They're very upfront with what's going on in the conflict and what it's all about. But there are always these like little mysteries, you know, strewn throughout it that just like make you go like, wait, what? Or like, what just happened? Or like, or for example, you know, at the end of reloaded, just the, the plot twists, just the, the rev, yeah, the revelations huh, that come at you just one right after the other. And it's just, you, you know, you're almost, you're thrown into this mire of, of not knowing what's going on. Um, so I'm okay. Like I'm going into this. I was like, whatever, just, you know, story this has, whatever structure it has, whatever they kind of throw at me, I'm just going to accept it. Right. So when that kangaroo showed, like, that was such, I mean, people are already talking about it. Like, when that kangaroo showed up, like, I was totally fine with it. Yeah, like, when the advanced reviews came in and, like, the critics were talking about a kangaroo, like, I was, like, I remember I was scrolling and I saw the headline and I was like, wait, kangaroo? What is this even talking about? Is this a joke? And... Like, obviously, I didn't click it because I didn't want to get spoiled. But um, the kangaroo in this movie, it's just like I was trying to, like, figure out, like, what is this a metaphor for something? <laughs> and so it, it looks very much like the kangaroo from Kangaroo Jack, like two th <laughs> early 2000s CGI. Yeah. And so, like, I was like, is this trying to tell us that something isn't right? Because, like, the effects look very early 2000s. Like, they haven't progressed much. Like, what's going on here, you know? Well, at first I thought they were doing some sort of weird space jam thing, you know, where the machines <laughs> were going to recruit uh, famous cartoon characters to fight the humans in the Matrix. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And that's a weird way of pronouncing fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> More fortunately, <laughs> tricks. <laughs> mm -hmm. It did have that sort of like potential hint uh, towards something greater about it. You know, it almost reminded me of um, of the guy in the dog suit in in The Shining, which was obviously a uh, cut subplot. It, um, the there was a subplot about it in the book, but then it just shows up randomly in the movie, and you're like, "What? What, what WTF is this?" It almost had that same vibe about it, but it was cool. I liked it. Yeah, do. that was bizarre. <laughs> Last time that Dylan was here, um, Andres, like my other friend, was like talking about how The Shining has. There's like actually a shorter version of The Shining that was released in Europe. So, like the American version, which is longer, is kind of like a director's cut in a way. So it's kind of weird that, like, there are some things that don't really make sense but are still kept in the movie but i guess for the european version like some things are cut out and maybe it's smoother possibly i don't know yeah i have no no idea and like they kind of gloss over how neo is back like they're they're like these really cryptic remarks about how he got rebooted somehow and it, it does kind of feel like an eye rolly thing where it's like somehow Palpatine returned, you know, that type of thing. But mm -hmm. I, I guess at this point I was like, all right, I'll just roll with it, whatever. Like I was not expecting the like kangaroo pouch to actually be like an entrance to like another dimension. 
like it, a pocket universe, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so like that was like the first major revelation in this movie, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't want to bring this up, but since you bring it up, I will anyway. I, I wish they didn't use that word reboot in the movie, because whenever someone says reboot, I just think of the awful 90s CG animated reboot and and just want a projectile vomit. <laughs> <laughs> Reboot is actually an excellent series. <laughs> oh my God. Season four is garbage, but se- seasons one, two, and three have really great storytelling. <laughs> like, like, I know that the animation is outdated, but the story is so good that I don't even care. It's got great story and great humor. All right, all right. Yeah, I just can't get over the look. <laughs> I have heard that the reboot of Reboot is garbage, though. The one that was on Netflix a few years ago, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah, I I saw a little bit of that. Actually, I didn't watch any of it in full, but just I I saw a little bit of it online. But yeah, so when he gets into this pocket dimension, uh, this is where he like sees the familiar faces. from like the other movies so like so obviously you have trinity and neo and the merovingian merovingian i i don't remember how they pronounce it in the movie like they say it a couple different ways in this movie for some reason yeah um, i've never gotten a full i've never gotten a grasp of like how to say that name or that character's name you know well the merovingian was a really curious choice to bring back he was not anywhere in my top like 25 matrix characters who i wanted to see in the sequel but this is why i guess i didn't make this movie you know besides besides all the other dumb ideas i have yeah and, and also agent johnson and like it's this weird sequence where it's like wait are these who we think they are or is this some sort of vision or like an analog of them or something like what's going on here yeah, and I do like how the alternate, like the it's almost you know the Wachowskis I believe, back in the '90s talked about like simulacra and simulation, or uh, I think it's by Baudrillard or something. The Matrix has definitely been discussed in relation to, you know, the idea of the simulacrum. So in entering into this sort of kangaroo pouch pocket universe, this this simulate this like matrix within a matrix. Um, you know, you can definitely see them going back to that sort of route. Yeah, and so these familiar-looking characters, they, they're they pretty stoic, which makes Neo seem, like, more human by comparison. Like I, I know that sounds kind of mean, but, like, you know, just in general, Neo is kind of stoic sometimes, and that's that's just the character. But he goes through a wide range of emotions here when he's like yelling at them is like tell me what you mean because they keep saying all these cryptic remarks as if they're trying to tell him something but it's like really confusing because they keep saying weird things like there is rage in the garlic and it's like what's this supposed to mean they say the light bulb is scaly and (laughs) he's and neo is like what does this even mean yeah, and I mean, that really opens the sort of the can of worms that this movie like really does deal with when it comes to Neo's character and when it comes to sort of Reeves's performance, which is like, which is rage. I mean, it's, it's a total 
180 really from how Neo was in the original trilogy. But, you know, you see sort of see like his inner rage come out throughout the course of the movie. And it's honestly really surprising and, and well done, I think, on Reeves's part. Yeah, like it's very raw and very true. It's like he's in this room with them and like obviously he's surrounded by a few familiar faces, but he feels alone because they don't feel like the same people. Mm -hmm, definitely, definitely. And, and you know, in, in sort of crafting the situation, I think, you know, the Matrix or Matrix, I guess, Matri the Matrix 4, I just, you know, no one is the call it the Matrix 4 or whatever. Mafortrix. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they avoid falling into the trap that like so many sequels and reboots tend to fall into, which is that like, all right, we need to recapture everything from the original. We need to redo everything from the original. And like most of the time you can't do that. You can't replicate the sort of context. Like, like the matrix, you can't replicate the matrix one. Like, you just can't do it. Sequels don't do it and they don't try, but it's just like, you'll never replicate that, like that time, that perfect time and that place and that movie for that movie to come out in. And it's just like having these sort of um, characters who are who are not right, right? Who are like who who are off a little bit, and you know that right from when they show up. Like they avoid that pitfall so well because they get they do they get to bring back the actors, they get to bring back the characters, um, yet they weave them into a story where like the sort of the offness you feel or the like that's not a word, but whatever the like. The feeling of like, wait, this isn't right that you get with a lot of sequels is like fully contextualized in this movie, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason they didn't title this Matrix Replication, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, I it does feel like for like at this point, you're thinking, oh, wow, the original trilogy feels like its own story. And this feels like kind of its own thing like he could be dropped in the middle of it and be confused regardless of whether or not he saw the first three movies yeah exactly and it sort of it brings new viewers and people who you know have watched the matrix or even matrix like super fans who love the matrix like everyone's on a level playing field here neo uh, i keep wanting to say keanu reeves but <laughs> if neo like breaks down and he's um like twitching on the ground almost as if he's being shocked perhaps like he he gets these these visions like he sees a vision of like someone live streaming on twitch like he clearly see the twitch logo well you know it's obviously a deep reflection of where our society is as a whole right now where you can just go online and get your instant endorphins from watching other people play video games instead of doing it yourself <laughs> or just talk those are even worse somehow of like the random Twitch channels that's just someone talking. Wait, those are a thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th those are a thing, actually. That's that's the, the reason why the just chatting section exists on Twitch. Uh, who, Probably who, shouldn't be... Who wants to get online and just talk to people? Like, who does that? Exactly. Twitch, I mean, Twitch streamers, Neo. I don't know. <laughs> Podcast. <clears throat> Wait, what? Who said that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually have this thing where, like, I can't, like, I can't enjoy mystery science theater because I feel removed from the thing that they're making fun of. Like, I feel like I'm not really experiencing the movie they're watching and the commentary they're making is just 
so unfunny to me because <laughs> I, I feel like I, I need to be sitting next to them, making the jokes along with them for me to find it funny. It, it's, it's like how I can't enjoy watching comedy specials on the screen anymore because I feel too removed. Whereas if I watch a comedy show or an improv show, like in the audience, like I, I'm surrounded by the vibe and the laughter and like the joke comes across like like it lands for me and i find it actually funny like watching it in person roblox oof dot wav (laughs) (laughs) no i mean i don't disagree i don't disagree i guess that's kind of why twitch this is why twitch even became a bigger thing because like you know, with a let's play, you're kind of removed from the actual act of playing the video game. But with a, you know, with a live stream, you can be there along with the streamer while I play. Yeah, I suppose that's a fact of Twitch. <laughs> yeah, which I guess, I mean, tell me what you thought, Steven. Like, this movie was replete with product placement. Obviously, the whole Twitch thing is like its own can of worms. That's like, all right, they weave that into the plot in a very unexpected way. But, like, what did you think of just the random, like, blockbusters and, and borders in the background? Like, you know, stores that don't exist anymore. Yeah, I at this point, like, so, okay, that, so a couple different things. With the Twitch thing, I was wondering, like, wait, are they going to say this is, like, some thing, like the Matrix Online or something? Like, this movie takes place inside something like that? Um, but when it showed the blockbuster and the borders, you know, we, we see what they look like when they're full and like they each contain customers. But these customers look like NPCs with no personality whatsoever to them. And then later on, like we see how they look when they are empty. And this made me think that this is a metaphor for how it's futile to try to recapture the magic of such a groundbreaking thing people have to move on because like blockbuster and borders are like right now they're things of the past like they're no longer there but people get nostalgic for various different things and they want everything to come back but that's not always necessarily a good thing like nostalgia can be harmful uh, especially for cinema if done wrong you know like you can easily make a revival or reboot or whatever that tries to rely too much on nostalgia and it just ruins the immersion and the story for some yeah definitely and like it's 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 definitely interesting when you like look at this movie in like the span of the wachowski's career or i guess just lana because uh the other one whose name i forgot didn't work on this one but it's like you know, even once the sort of Hollywood sequel machine had already gotten its gears turning, like they were still, you know, they were still trying to do original movies, like pretty much the entire time. I mean, they had Speed Racer, obviously, in 2008, but then they came out with Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending and just sort of really ambitious movies um, that weren't obviously that were new, that weren't part of anything established. And now having to return to the Matrix, um, you can definitely kind of see where they're coming from with these ideas, you know. Yeah, Cloud Atlas might be a rare exception where I think the movie is better than the book. But yeah, Jupiter Ascending, I remember being underwhelmed by that one, but it's certainly something different. Like it's not 
cashing in on something that's previously established. And Speed Racer, I've just never seen yet. Like, I've been aware of it for a long time, but just never watched it. Mm -hmm. It might be unfair to call Speed Racer part of their, like, their, I don't know, attempts at, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like, new, new IPs or something like that. But, like, even though Cloud Atlas obviously was based on a book, but it's like, yeah, Speed Racer probably just nixed that off the list because that's obviously a big franchise. <laughs> Which I always forget. For some reason, I always, you know, when someone says Speed Racer, I just think of the Wachowski movie. Like, I don't think of the long, like, 50-year history it had before that. Yeah, for when, I, reason. when I hear Speed Racer, I think of the Fairly Odd Parents parody of it in that TV movie Channel Chasers or whatever it's called. <laughs> there was a monkey or something. <laughs> yeah, there's a monkey, I think, in the original. I don't know. Yeah. The original uh, show. Right. I don't know. But and don't it, don't forget Ninja Assassin, which they produced in two thousand nine. <laughs> Wait, actually, maybe I have heard of this. Maybe let me look this up. Yeah, directed by James McTeague. Okay, I have heard of this because the screenplay was co-written by J. Michael Strzinski, who's the creator of Babylon Five, um, my favorite sci-fi show that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like like I think. In his um in his memoir, Becoming Superman, he said that he banged out the screenplay in just a, a really short amount of time. I don't remember if it was one night or one weekend or something or a couple of days during the week. But yeah, he he like I think he wrote it fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I've seen a little bit of the footage when like he was doing like a talk or presentation um like a year and a half ago but yeah may, this might be one i need to see at some point a lot of this podcast is me mentioning movies that i haven't seen but really should <laughs> <laughs> to touch back i guess on the wachowski's career like a lot of their more recent movies or like within the last decade have uh flopped so you can definitely kind of feel that um yeah maybe a a, a rage that mirrors mirrors neo's rage of like you know not wanting to return to the matrix yet everything they make flops and it's like suddenly you know when they act when they when they do return to the matrix like it does well <laughs> it's a big deal again yeah and i think the the whole theme of flops is no clearer than when neo comes across a broken floppy disk on the ground and you know, that, that's another relic of the past, right? Like, we don't really use floppy disks anymore. Mm -hmm. and Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Are you... Aesthetics-wise, right? Like, they're... I mean, this floppy disk, you know, when was the last time you saw a floppy disk, right? Just right now when I watched the movie. I mean, okay, I'm okay. <laughs> All right, okay. Smart guy over here. <laughs> White guy over here before that fool before that <laughs> was that not a non-rhetorical question i don't know yeah well i guess in the oh, trailer yeah. for the movie because i do <laughs> yeah. vaguely remember the floppy disk appeared in the trailer like for a second it was it was like that split second thing like right before it ended just you know you knew it was going to be important you know when they kind of did that and lo and behold, I mean, and lo and behold, he finds it in a blockbuster. I mean, 
Lo and behold. They need to come back in style just like vinyl. Yes, yes. Well, I have no love for vinyl, but I don't know. There's something cool, like, aesthetically, I guess, about floppy disks. I mean, I guess. Like, it's got, like, that square shape, and it's, like, I I don't know. (laughs) It's, um... (laughs) It, it's like how in Star Wars, like the original Star Wars movie, they refer to the Death Star plans as like data tapes. And it's like because they said that they have to adhere to it in Rogue One. And it's like <laughs> this thing that they carry, which I just mm. love. <laughs> so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, well, there's there's not much I love about Rogue One. So I just, ha- just have to drop that whenever anyone mentions it. Oh, that's <laughs> ironic because there's a lot that I love about Rogue One. So reboot Rogue One. What other <laughs> R title do you not care for that I really love? <laughs> what other high art am I here to slander? Well, like um, just <laughs> something that starts with the letter R, like those two. Well, okay, riddle me this, Steven. <laughs> Did Blockbuster ever rent or sell blank floppies? Like, I don't. Or is that just something they made up for the movie? You know, like I don't know. Is that? Yeah, I don't recall them doing so IRL but because they rented out like movies and video games which you know the video games would be discs or cartridges I suppose Mm -hmm. but I don't think they've ever rented out floppy discs I could be wrong and yeah but it was an interesting contrast like seeing that like in the blockbuster and because I feel like in the cultural zeitgeist, when you think of Blockbuster, you don't think, oh, yeah, floppy disk on the floor there. That would be very natural to see there. Like, it's it, I, th- I think generally people would think, huh, that seems pretty off to have there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also thought it was kind of unsettling that the m- covers of like all these movies that are on the shelves, like they're all just blank they have no title yeah you're sort of you're flung into this world as neo is that's sort of just devoid of of substance like it's all there but but there's just there's something wrong about everything no matter what it is yeah and when he starts thinking really hard about it he like finds himself in the passenger seat of a car in the middle of traffic but like the car is like driving itself somehow and he's like wondering, what the hell does this mean? Which was literally my reaction when I saw that moment. And at this point in the movie, I was just about ready to, uh, to, to I don't know, do something extreme, gouge my eyes out or something like that. It's <laughs> like one of my least favorite parts of the Matrix uh, original trilogy of the movies is that like highway fight chase scene in Reloaded. It's because it just it drags on for so long and it comes right after another big fight sequence. And here I thought we were almost in for the same thing, but thankfully they subverted that expectation. They dodged that bullet, so to speak, because it's the Matrix. Too fast, too Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> too May, too Tricks. <laughs> you know, I appreciated the realism of this guy running through a digital world, escaping from people, shooting him with ray guns, you know. At least they look like ray guns, I'm not sure. 
just really appreciated the realism of the moment, though. Yes, the realism of being in a seemingly digital world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, okay, so here's one thing about this highway scene that kind of baffled me. I don't know if it did the same to you, but what did you guys make of, like, the people on bikes on the highway? Like, not, you know, not the motorcycles, but the, like, the bicycles. That was, I mean, and they're keeping up with the cars. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was part of that sort of, um, you know, vibe where it's like, you know, something's off. Where it's like, nobody can ride a bike that fast. Yeah, I thought it was an odd choice, especially the fact that they set this sequence to the Queen song, Bicycle. Look, that's one of my favorite Queen songs. So I was sold on this entire scene. You know, you know, I get it's weird. The bikes are keeping up. But as soon as, you know, it kicked in with Queen's bicycle race, I was like, you know what? I don't even care because we got some banging music. <laughs> the action sequence is like kind of banging. You know, it's, it's all right. Bicycle, it's actually some... bicycle. Oh, <laughs> copyright. Never mind. <laughs> it's, it gets silenced in the actual movie in theaters. <laughs> um, it's really funny if you like rang a bike bell on your podcast and you just got a copyright infringement for the bike bell solo <laughs> in that song. Yeah, Warner Brothers or or I guess whoever owns Queen's music would send it to cease and desist. <laughs> just cancel the whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, just get sued for all your worth. <laughs> And you're a bicycle podcast. Like, that's your topic. <laughs> well, what would be a good name for a bicycle podcast? What would the topics even be? <laughs> I, don't know, I haven't ridden a bike since I was like six. So I don't know. That's not true. It was probably more like nine or ten. But pedal cast. They would talk know. about wheels. We talk about frames. We talk about mountain bikes versus road bikes. We talk about fixies. We talk about beach cruisers. Why do I know so much about bikes? <laughs> Sounds like a fifth podcast that Decorative Vegetable can make. <laughs> mm, decorative Vegetable Tower is growing. <laughs> or maybe podcast aside can pretend that this, this bicycle podcast actually happened and they can review it. I don't know. Uh, yes, podcast aside. If we can tap into that alternate dimension again. <laughs> but okay so this bicycle sequence is i i thought it was another example of the movie subverting what one would expect because like with these types of movies you know action sequences you expect motorcycles right but no like they have bicycles and like they go up to neo and they try picking up their own bicycles and hitting him with it which I mean, I suppose bicycles really can be used as weapons. I mean, this is the scene from this movie that's clearly going to be talked about for the next three decades. You know, the bike fight <laughs> you know, is what I'm already seeing it being called online. Yeah. And then Neo gets, he finds a knife on the ground and he uses it to like flatten the tires. But then he realizes like, oh, shoot, the they can still swing the bicycles at me. It doesn't matter that the tires are flattened now. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, they're they're on bikes. They're using bikes as weapons. It's so so. There, there's still that element of it of like, you know, just they're still useful. There's multiple different uses for the bikes. It's almost bike propaganda, for being honest. My favorite part of it, though, to be honest, um, uh, maybe to be honest isn't the right phrase here, since it was uh, pretty much the best part of the entire sequence. Was you know, uh, when it's I, I don't even who who was it? It was. Obviously, Neo was fighting, but it's like, you know, they're on the bikes. One of the bikes is going backwards. They're still on the highway, obviously. 
uh, one of the bikes is, is going backwards. The other's going forwards. They're, they're, they're right next to each other. Neo's fighting that guy on the handlebars. I'm not a big fan of fight scenes. The Matrix has always had some of my favorites, though, and this one is no exception to that. And yeah, this for was sure. probably the best. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have this bike gang, and we have like all the NPC type of characters we kind of mentioned, and like this movie has like a really stacked cast. Like there are lots of names. Some I can pronounce, some I cannot, so I won't try. But yeah, like they, it, it's really interesting how like you can ask someone if they want to be in a Matrix movie and they can do like very little or like a lot and they'll just be like, yeah, Matrix, because it's so popular and they'll just agree to be in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A bullet flies by and like Neo turns around and realizes that he has an ally with him. And so he he runs in the direction of the person who with a gun and it's he's actually put by Neil Patrick Harris and so Neo way get to like a safe location and Neo is like who are you and he's like my name is Neo Patrick Harris <laughs> yeah I didn't think they would go so meta with this movie but I mean I guess what else can you do when you're making the fourth damn Matrix movie you know 20 years after the third one they have this brief moment where Neo's like, wait, my name is also Neo, and they're trying to figure out what it means, but yeah. <laughs> I, I liked it, though. You know, some people said it, it's taken them sort of out of the experience, but for me, it really just, it plunged me deeper, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it put you into the world, you would say? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, it, <laughs> it dunked me into the tub full of water and apples. Like, I felt immersed. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, but yeah. I, I actually did think that this, like, for me at least, it broke my immersion a little bit. But also, I was, like, not sure what was even going on in the movie at this point. So I was just... Just kind of along for the ride at this point, you know? like Yeah, because... Like, the name does not sound familiar at all to Neo, and, like, it makes me wonder, like, is he aware of Neil Patrick Harris, the celebrity? Like, like I guess not, because, like, it's probably the future. Like, we don't really get much details about the setting, but, like, there's, like, all sorts of theories that people are, like, drawing up online. So it's, like, a really huge mystery, I guess. Well, I did appreciate that at least inside the Matrix, they still think that the epitome of human development happened in 1994. <laughs> I mean, that's the year I was born, so they were right. Ah, uh, there you go. Checkmate, <laughs> checkmate atheists. Chess, your doctor. King me. <laughs> King me. <laughs> Connect four. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, in a way that kind of like the Matrix 4 it does it, it does it's playing like 4d chess with its audience and you know you're just sitting there like uh, i just I, I just connected four like i i win and you know you're totally you're on a different playing field because they're playing chess yeah exactly it's like when the characters win at the end of a jumanji movie or something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. another movie with the rock in it <laughs> <laughs> isn't jumanji also warner brothers is it not um, it's Sony. Curses. Thought I was onto something for a second there. <laughs> right. So 
they're continuing to try and figure out just what the hell is going on. Much like the audience is still trying to figure out. They go through like this speech together where they're like, this thing that we're in, it's almost like a mosaic. Like all the pieces are there, but we can't really comprehend it, you know? Too close to the image, I think they say, to see it in full, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're trapped on an island and, you know, there are all these rocks in the sand and you don't realize that they're spelling out the word help unless you are high up in the air and you have a full view of what's down below. Right, right. It just looks like, yeah, it's like, it's almost like that super, you know, the like ultimate hubris of the palm tree shaped island in Dubai, right? Where it's like <laughs> they made a palm tree shaped island, like the only people who can witness its shape and it's what it's you know supposed to be are people in planes it's like when you're on the ground it just it doesn't look like anything special (laughs) (laughs) that's like when people make bank accounts to save money for their descendants to inherit what fools (laughs) right fools yeah that's what i would call them yeah (laughs) but yeah i think Like, I guess this movie could be considered avant-garde in the sense in that, like, every turn that it takes, it tries to buck the trend of being, like, as, I I don't know, like, as comprehensible of a spectacle as people expect, I guess. I mean, my my biggest sort of takeaway from all the twists and turns, which, frankly, were, like, a pretty big departure from what The Matrix has um, done because I mean again like we were kind of saying at the beginning like the Matrix always had a sort of straightforward through line even though it did get into sort of weird territory with two and three but mm-hmm. like this one I mean at every turn with all the twists with all the sort of mind-blowing you know elements that it kind of just throws at you like every single step that it took was a step away from like I don't know something like the Hollywood sequel machine right where it's like this is the Matrix 4 right it's, it's the four tricks but yet it does everything in its power not to be. Yeah, I thought it was really clever when they find this kitchen, right? And like in the cabinet is a Trick's cereal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, the word Trick's is in Matrix. So like that is a clue about like where they are. Right, and the whole set, we should mention, looks like the Oracle's kitchen. I mean, they don't ever explicitly you know, come out and say that. But like, if you've watched the matrix one enough, like, you know? Yeah. And and they try to figure out like, if there's like something like some sort of clue in the cereal. And so they look in further in the cabinets and they find lucky Charms cereal and they just combine that with the tricks. And all of a sudden, like rainbow colors start glowing in the bowl. Once they pour the milk into it and (laughs) Like, what did you guys think of this sequence? Like, how's going on? I mean, uh, you know, the cinematographer really had a fun day on set because the Matrix has always been green tinted. But then, you know, once this happened, they were like, screw that rainbow everywhere. <laughs> Which I guess I appreciate, you know, kind of felt like I just dropped LSD in the middle of the movie. You know, this is one of those movies that 10 years from now, people will be like, yeah, you know what's a great movie to watch while on drugs? Four tricks. <laughs> but other than that, I didn't really care for this scene. I'm just getting from A to B, I guess, you know. 
you know, jumping into the serial portal. Didn't really need that. Yeah, like this, the jumping into the serial thing, it it kind of meanders for a bit. And I remember thinking to myself, like, like this brought back memories to like when I was a kid and, you know, I would see the commercials for a snap, crackle and pop cereal. And I legitimately thought that the characters lived in the cereal and that's why they were popping. And I would just keep on eating the cereal thinking that like they're just immortal like like it's like taking eucharist and being like yeah they'll just live forever like this doesn't hurt them wow (laughs) (laughs) stunned silence from kia but it's like it makes you wonder though like this is probably the first point in the movie where i was really wondering how many matrixes deep they were because obviously like when they first jump into the kangaroo pouch you're like okay so they're in the matrix within the matrix right that's sort of it's the simulacra but it's like this one it really calls into question like is this a third is this the third matrix deep or because like the previous matrixes all had one sort of tint to them right like obviously the original matrix is green then the real world the quote-unquote real world from the original trilogy is blue but then like this sort of this layering i guess of colors once they jump into the cereal like you realize that the matrix in the kangaroo pouch with the blockbuster and the the highway sequence and all that did have those sort of multiple tints and now they're just multiplying that you're it's like you're just being yeah again to push deeper into the a, a mire of like of just confusion and not knowing and and just there are multiple times more questions than answers here i really enjoyed that yeah, it almost feels like there, uh, you know, there were all those fan theories that Zion was just another Matrix, that that the Matrix Neo was in was just a Matrix within a Matrix, and then they were like, well, you know what? You want matrices within matrices? <laughs> we'll give you matrices within matrices. Yeah, yeah this is, I mean, this is the Matrix for like a world that has known Inception for ten years, or like where something like Inception is old hat. So they kind of have to go further with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they land on this, like they're they land on this island that seems to be made of like a piece of cereal, and like the the ocean looks like uh, chocolate milk for some reason, and and so uh, it is on this island where they encounter a character portrayed by Priyanka Chopra. Uh, I don't think they ever say her name, the name of the, her character in the movie, but. She basically tells him, yeah, you guys are in too deep. You're doing this all wrong. And so, like, what were your guys' reaction to that revelation? See, that was the executive at Warner Brothers getting the script on their desk and turning to the scriptwriter and be like, you're doing this all wrong. <laughs> that was yeah. my interpretation. <laughs> yeah, I do kind of get the vibe that this movie is basically them saying, yeah, Warner Brothers, we'll do whatever we want. We don't care. And they'll just let them do it because like, people will like be up in arms if they don't get to do Matrix their way, how mm-hmm. they intend to. Yeah, I mean, you know, like it or not, or agree with it or not, the Wachowskis, especially Lana more so, um, are sort of you know in in general perception and public perception or whatever they're seen as sort of auteurs almost you know 
obviously like when you say that it kind of implies i don't know something of like high art or something like that but which they obviously are not um but it's like although obviously as well i should probably uh say that you know the decline high and low art is bogus in my <laughs> correct opinion but it's just oh, like right. your correct opinion yeah I do think it's correct or else I would change my opinion to, to what I did think was correct. <laughs> but it's just like, where, where is it going? Right. So like, I mean, they are sort of seen, they have that sort of um, thing about them, right? Where it's like, they are seen as th- these auteurs. Look, auteurs can be auteurs of bad things too. I Look, Michael Bay is an auteur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You heard it here mm-hmm. first. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Oh my but gosh, like, I, I do I do not want to agree with that. <laughs> but he is he is like by the definition of auteur theory, Michael Bay is an auteur. Yep. 100%. So like auteurs don't have to make only good things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was my point with that. <laughs> the Wachowskis have made only good things we should probably say like this one this was just lana jupiter like, ascending disagrees <laughs> we're watching sort of some of their later movies for um dylan and i for our podcast triple play soon so maybe i won't agree with that statement soon but as of right now i think yeah i would say that they've made only good things the, the, you know all the things you've seen have only been good mm-hmm. yeah they made good things except when they didn't type of thing <laughs> they made good things except for the ones i didn't see in which case those don't those don't count i'll I'll just say that the best live action transformers movie and the best bad boys movie are the ones where michael bay wasn't involved look michael bay did a lot more than just transformers and bad boys okay yeah he did uh armageddon pearl harbor come on i mean i did kind of like armageddon I'll, i'll give him that but yeah, I, I don't. I, I haven't. I don't think I've seen Pearl Harbor, so I don't know. Pretty sure Pearl Harbor like won an Oscar for something. Yeah, sound editing. Yeah, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> wow, checkmate! <laughs> wow, Pearl Harbor was the first worst picture, you know, at the Golden Raspberry Awards. <laughs> the first the first worst picture nominated film to win an academy award yeah it's really surprising that battleship was not made by michael bay because it has like all the things that people hate that would expect from like a michael bay movie. see but the, but the fact that you can pinpoint like what a michael bay style is just proves that he's an auteur <laughs> oh my exactly. gosh exactly yeah exactly uh. <laughs> i mean we, we wouldn't like the fact that we're even having this discussion just proves it. Like, if oh there no, would, there what have even, I done? Like, we no. wouldn't even be talking about like, is like we wouldn't even be talking about Michael Bay if anyone could make a Michael Bay movie. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Moving well, on, like the quality <laughs> is a different question, but yeah. <laughs> Steven's like, no, <laughs> it's not an tour, and they were moving on. This is Matrix, not Michael Bay tricks. <laughs> look, 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 I'd love, look, this is a controversial opinion, but I'd love to see Michael Bay make Matrix 5. There, I said it. Look, oh my gosh. Look, after the ending of this movie opened up all those possibilities for where they could go next, you know, with spin offs and, you know, a whole franchise, I, really, I want to see Michael Bay take a shot at Matrix 5. I, I, 
I honestly hate, like, now that you bring that up, I can't stop myself from talking about it now. I hated that. I hated how this movie was, in, in many ways, an excuse for Matrix Cinematic Universe. Yeah, it's weird because you go through this whole movie being like, yeah, this isn't going to be a mat- a replication of The Matrix. It's got to be its own thing. And then at the end of it, it's it's like this very cynical thing where it's like, yeah, we're, we're probably going to make more we're probably going to make Matrix 5 after this deal with it. And it's like, it's almost like they're going along with it because they feel like society pressures that the filmmakers into doing these things when really they just want to, like, not do it. It's, I don't know, like, how did you guys feel about how the ending played out? Look, I, I hate sequel baiting as much as the next guy, okay? Look. I hate sequel baiting. Okay, look, well, Keanu don't know this. I hate sequel baiting, and so I didn't. I didn't like it here either. But I still want to see Michael Bay tackle Matrix Five. Just, just saying. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if that ends up being the case, it'll all have been worth it. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, for Neo to like look when Neo like got that vision of like all the other matrices in like the parallel timelines, that was just, it was pretty cool. Like it was a pretty cool scene. Visuals are on point, but yeah, there's the so many bait, explosions. The, the sequel bait was like, just so obvious. Yeah. Like he, he basically turns to like the other characters and it's like, we can go anywhere now. And, <laughs> and his eyes go like full white and he goes, I can control everything, you know? Is Neo going to become the villain in the future? I don't know. What do you guys think? I would say the lack of color, you know, the color colorlessness of that. I mean, it's not only his eyes. It's like uh, Matrix, like, totally discards the color theming at that point. Um, you know, it's just, it's devoid of color. It's devoid of substance. Uh, you know, no matter, how, no matter how many Matrixes deep they are, Matrices, whatever. Yeah, I would say there's definitely potential for Neo to, to to not be, you know, the the sort of character we thought he was in the future. I mean, it's definitely possible. Uh, I feel like, I mean, there's that moment earlier in the movie that may be subtle foreshadowing that he's going bad, which is when he finds a birthday cake and then he gets like a whole bottle of, mustard and just squirts the whole thing over it and then just eats it without wincing so it's like it what what is this version of neo even like what does he become where is he gonna go from here and you see if he's capable of this he's capable of of really anything that's sort of the gist of that scene or it was in my opinion the one thing i didn't like about that scene was how they still didn't even confirm if this is the same neo from the first three movies or if it's like if it's like a new incarnation of neo like what's going on there well hopefully sometime we'll know what the author's intentions are because that's what cements what the thing is (laughs) right But you know, yeah, I'm really curious to see like where he could go. But I also like hate myself for being curious about it for some reason. Cause like I like we like you said, I, I also hate sequel baiting and franchises where I feel like they don't really need to continue going further. Yeah, I'm not gonna watch Matrix Five, the inevitable Matrix Five. Check out Inevitable, a classic sci-fi <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Listen to that instead of watching The Matrix 5. 
listen to that instead of watching Lex. Mm, also true. <laughs> the Matrix Lex. Oh my god! Can yeah, that was, that was awful to say. <laughs> Can you imagine a Lex Matrix crossover? That might just be the worst, worst conceived idea this side of the Milky Way. Oh yes, the Milky Way candy bar. That that would be the worst. Yeah, the one it. sitting on my table right over there is actually what I was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. It, this movie also falls into like the sin of Matrix Reloaded and that like the rock music and the end credits. It just feels really out of place after all this stuff that's supposed to be thought provoking. And then just like that rock music just crashes down. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I thought that was a bit much. <laughs> I never liked that from any of the Matrix movies and I continue to not like it here. I believe you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't really, you know, care for uh, vocal or licensed songs placed in any movie. I mean, I guess it's a really broad statement, but it's true. And The Matrix typically doesn't put them in the movies themselves. But yeah, when those credits hit, it's just another story entirely. I mean, I'm fine with vocal music in movies and TV shows. It just depends on like, which ones and how they are used in my opinion it does depend on the context usually i find them out of place and not enjoyable but yeah you're right all-star fits so well with the beginning of shrek like i can't (laughs) imagine it without that vocal music i'm gonna go and re-edit the beginning of shrek now to use Some other Smash Mouth song. (laughs) No, I was gonna say fat bottom girls by by Queen. Which song? The Fat Bottom Girls by Queen. Oh my gosh! (laughs) The companion song to Bicycle Race. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I can't believe the word "somebody" has been completely cursed by that song. Like whenever someone Uh, says, "I think you mean somebody." Somebody. Somebody. Yeah, yeah. You know the worst I part do. of that is that actually, you know, this is—I can't believe I just came onto this podcast to just drop controversial opinions and leave. But Smash Mouth is Smash Mouth's other music is not bad. Look, Smash Mouth <laughs> is actually pretty good. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. Check out Smash Problem? Mouth's music in that movie Clock Stoppers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Also, in in my opinion. Every Shrek movie and the musical are good. All right, get up, get oh, you're kicked off the podcast. Steven. <laughs> kicked, kicked off your off own podcast. podcast. Yes. We're taking over. <laughs> <laughs> it just gets absorbed into decorative vegetable. <laughs> yeah, into the decorative vegetable super conglomerate. <laughs> you became the very thing that you swore to destroy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we became the podcasting empire. We swore to not become because it would burn us out. <laughs> Only a Sith deals in absolutes. (laughs) But yeah, unless we have any other thoughts on Matrix, I guess we could go into final thoughts and score out of 10. No, I don't think I have anything else except for final thoughts. Yeah, I don't have anything either. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, Keon, what we've been doing this since this season started is whenever we do score out of 10, we use we say a unit of measurement 
so each person can choose something different. So uh, it, it can be something related to the movie. So like, for example, if you were to rate Nacho Libre, it'd be like, oh, uh, seven out of 10 nachos or something. Mm-hmm. So, sure. Yeah. Seven right. Jack Black in a uh, <laughs> robe or uh, whatever cape out of uh, a 10. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> All right, so Keon, what are your final thoughts and score out of 10 for Matrix? Well, it's like, you know, like I said at the beginning, I was prepared, going into this movie, I was prepared to just be like, whatever this thing throws at me, I'm just going to accept it. Uh, And because I said that, I ended up enjoying it a lot. I probably actually, um, you know, maybe wasn't as critical about it as I perhaps should have been or something like that. Um, Yeah, I mean, overall, I would probably just give it like, since I enjoyed it so much, 10, I don't know, layers of the matrix deep out of 10, you know, it's I just say it's the best, you know, or the, the highest possible rating I could give it. Wow. Yeah. All right. What about you, Dylan? Yeah, I think I'm in a similar boat, but I don't think I would go, you know, that high on the scale. You know, I was kind of just along for the ride, enjoyed it, had a good time, you know? Uh, so I'd probably give it a eight colors of the rainbow out of, 10 colors of the rainbow in the weird final matrix <laughs> level. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's cause I saw this one more recently and find it more memorable, but I found myself more engaged with what was going on in this movie than in the original three. And I kind of appreciated that it was trying to do its own thing, but also it, like the sequel bait at the end was a real cop out, in my opinion. I do like it more than the other Matrix movies. Uh, so I'm going to give this 7.5 out of 10 floppy disks. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, speaking of floppy disks, I hope that you uh, help bring floppy disks back by... Uh pressing this podcast episode onto into floppy disks <laughs> and mailing it to all your subscribers i mean decorative vegetable needs to put all their episodes on discs because like dvd is decorative vegetable discs mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah limited edition you know the first person to donate to our patreon will get a limited edition you know, five hundred discs, five hundred disc set of every <laughs> every decorative vegetable episode ever pressed onto DVD. <laughs> just, just get a big finish to design those colorful covers. Uh, yes, for the like dozens of them we'll have to have for the amount of audio we've recorded. Well, look, I'll be first in in online line for the delete del- <laughs> delayed replay merch store. So whenever that's set up, <laughs> just let me know. Yeah. Send it, send it our way when it's up. <laughs> Notice we're saying when and not if <laughs> balls in your court jokes on you, pal. I don't play sports. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was trying to think of a funny response to that, but I can't, so, oh well. (laughs) Well, we got an email this week, surprisingly. So this is, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and read it. Dear Prime Steven. 
I am a listener from the Alpha universe, an alternate universe of me starred on a season two episode. I just listened to episode 17 of the podcast. I heard that you did a minute of the first episode with someone else. Are you likely to ever release the audio or has it been wiped like all those Doctor Who episodes? I hope you read this email out on the podcast. I am a massive fan of it. Kind regards, Alpha Oliver Titcom, sent from my iPhone. <laughs> Thanks for reading the sent from my iPhone. <laughs> really sent wasn't my, sure. Sent from my washing machine. Sent from my Samsung smart refrigerator. Yeah, yeah my, my dad likes to end his with sent from my magical mobile device. Uh, the alliteration. I love it. But yeah, so for those who've been listening to season two, um, on the episode covering the M. Night Shyamalan movie Old, um, my friend Oliver guested on that one. And so I guess this is a version of him from that universe where those movies got delayed. Yeah, I completely um, forgot the universe designations uh, I, I mean, I mean, so did I. Like, I'm not even sure if we settled on which one was Alpha, which one was Prime or Delta or Beta or whatever. But yeah, we mentioned I, it was also a Universe A, I think, in the anniversary episode. Yeah, or Universe B. Universe B. That's right. It was B because I didn't want things to be simple. I guess. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So he he's asking. Because on the anniversary episode, uh, there's a part where I mentioned that, like, when I was trying to record the first episode of this podcast, I actually did it with my roommate at the time. Um, we were, like, talking about A Quiet Place Part 2, and I it was before I really knew how to structure the conversation. And then we talked for, like, half an hour or something, may maybe less, I don't know, and then I checked the audacity and it turns out it stopped recording after like a minute or something from the looks of it. <laughs> it's okay. We, we, we've definitely experienced that before at Decorative Vegetable Towers. Or like with the Matrix where you thought it was only a minute, but then you checked later and it turns out you had like an hour. We had the whole episode, in fact, we, but we didn't realize that till after we had recorded a second version of the same episode. So that was great. And you like splice them together. Good times. <laughs> yeah, I mean that must have been like a lot of work. Like imagine <laughs> Not if <for> like Keon's <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> like like imagine if Dylan showed up like midway through this episode and I ended up having to like splice in <laughs> all the stuff he said to like earlier in the conversation. Yeah, imagine if there was a timeline where that happened. Man, wouldn't that suck? Huh. Right. But um, as for whether I'll ever release the audio of that, um, I don't know if I even have the audio. Like, I, I, I honestly may have deleted it. Um, and, and I mean, like I said, it was before I like knew how to structure the thing. And then I tried again with my friend Andres and my roommate was cool with it. And um, yeah, so like, I don't know if maybe... I mean, my computer's pretty cluttered, so for all I know, it could be, like, somewhere on there, or, like, there was also that weird thing going on in season one where those 
interdimensional beings called the can of worms or like messing with stuff so for all i know maybe they've tinkered with it a bit so it might sound weird if i ever do find it but yeah i don't know or maybe it's wiped like all those doctor who episodes in all likelihood <laughs> missing yeah, episodes of delayed replay found like in an airport somewhere like <laughs> in tw- 25 years yeah, someone like will just have it someone has it on a floppy disk <laughs> yeah exactly all right so like no promises but I mean, that that would be funny if it ever did get found and it wasn't, like... Uh, like, it'd be funny if it was just, like, o- only my side of the conversation to play into, like, the quiet place theme of it. Or maybe neither of us are audible on it for some reason. I don't know. Um... But, yeah, thanks for sending in the email, Oliver. Um, that rarely happens like it's refreshing to have an email that's from someone who's not an alternate version of myself uh no offense to myself i was gonna say no (laughs) offense to yourself (laughs) i thought you meant like no offense to everyone who's not an alternate version of you because they don't get to be you (laughs) i mean i i would not wish i i would not like wish anyone to be me like yeah, because yeah, you've yeah, already got it all yourself, huh? Selfish, want to keep it. Yeah, no, I don't want anyone to go to endure any of that. But anyway, all right. Well, I I guess that'll do it. So thanks again for being on this podcast. Where can people find your stuff? Nowhere. We don't exist. They can check it out on one of those like unsolicited podcast sites that we're on that didn't ask our permission to put our stuff on yeah if you just google like trust your doctor it'll come up with like spotify google play and then like feed catcher or like <laughs> yeah there's like weird and weird like, ones what like, is this like backtracks and stuff like that <laughs> yeah and you go on those sites and you're like well i have followers people are listening to this stuff here that's like that's that's not even on my radar like you know so there's like two listeners and you're like who are you people using <laughs> to listen to podcasts <laughs> yeah like like i distribute delayed replay through anchor and they distribute to several different places but even like with those in mind there's still a few other places i've seen where like they just randomly take the podcast and distribute them like on there. Yeah, just I don't know what uh, what's going on there. But if you really want to find us, just go to decadentvegetable.com. It's uh, there's links to all of our shows on all of the the uh, podcasting platforms that I've submitted them to uh, on there. Yeah, and we do trust your doctor, a Doctor Who podcast, inevitable a classic sci-fi podcast. So those are. Those are big ones. We've done Zenith of Blake 7 podcast. That one's done. And then we have Triple Play, a movie trilogy podcast, which is sort of the, the, the black sheep of the series, I guess. Being mentioned lost. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that we made it second. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because Triple Play was the first podcast of yours that I ever listened to. Triple Play was also, you know, we haven't said this on recording in a long time. Triple Play, we actually had the idea for that first. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, but then we thought it like wouldn't work. 
So we did trust your doctor and then we're like, maybe it will work actually. And you know what? You know what? We were right the first time, actually. <laughs> well, the, the initial conception of it was a blog because it was in like 2012. So people actually still did blogs kind of. Yeah. And then like once 2015 hit, we were like, okay, it's a, it's a podcast now. <laughs> yeah, I didn't uh, jump on the trust your doctor train right away because I think because it like I, I had seen the whole show like relatively recently, like I, I finished it like at the end of 2013 and I was like, yeah, I don't really need to listen to discussions about each of those episodes right away. But then <laughs> like, but then like uh, over a year ago, I discovered what I was missing. It's kind of like beer, you know? Everyone's like, beer's an acquired taste. Well, Beer sucks. There, yeah, look, I, I agree. It. Look, no, I agree. That's not a controversial <laughs> opinion for the company you're in. I hate beer. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people say, like, beer is an acquired taste, and it just kind of wears you down. You know, that's like trust your doctor. You just wears you down, and then you like it. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, then you'll just, you know, you're 300 episodes in, and you're like, wow, I have Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> I'm here. Like, I'm not leaving. You're 300 episodes in, and you're like, you're right. Tagano was the like best villain Doctor Who has ever had. <laughs> yeah. It's that meme, you know, with the, the iceberg that's got like different levels of fandom. And it's like the top level is like, man, Keon and Dylan, you know, they're like kind of entertaining. And the bottom level of the iceberg is like, yeah, you know, Doctor Who stole all their ideas from Trust Your Doctor in the future. <laughs> Tagano was the best Doctor Who villain that's ever been on the show. <laughs> Uh, maybe Lex is an acquired taste. <laughs> I hope not. Like, I'm no. really hoping that 790 dies in the 791 episode that I haven't seen yet, but I really doubt it. <laughs> he doesn't. As far as I know, he doesn't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so <laughs> thanks again. And people can find me at Stephen Schinder on Instagram and Twitter. Stephen Schinder storytelling on Facebook. You can find my fantasy horror comedy novel, Lemons and Like Rain, on Amazon, also on stephenschinder.com. You can find Star Trek Culture on the playlist section on the Culture Slate YouTube channel. Me and my dad have been working on a podcast called Yes Shit, where we talk about the progressive rock band Yes. And so that that's fun keep an eye out for that and if you want to email delayed replay email delayed replay podcast at gmail.com and you might have your thoughts read on the show perhaps even if you like comment on social media or something you can have your thoughts read on the show um and yeah i guess uh that'll do it and the next episode after this one will be about john wick chapter four what a trajectory like going from the anniversary episode to spy jam to matrix and then john wick chapter four it's wild <laughs> look starting off year two uh right yeah well but... i just wanted to say thanks for inviting uh me on i'm not going to speak for Keon. i assume he's going <laughs> to thank you but thanks for inviting me on it was good fun yeah thanks steven Always a, a pleasure and a blast. Got a blast. <laughs> I was just thinking that Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to mention that like for the longest time, my idea of what the Matrix was, was that Jimmy Neutron scene where they're filming a movie and they do the like, you know, the slow motion ducking backwards thing from the Matrix. <laughs>
that that scene in hindsight, you know, I saw that scene when I was a kid, but in hindsight, that that scene is just filled with references to like half a dozen movies. It's yeah, like that whole episode is. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, that'll do it. And thanks again for listening. And without further delay, have a good day. <laughs>